from KQED. Rachel, Rachel, remind me what you were thinking when you came up with the idea for this next story. What was I thinking? I'll tell you what I was thinking, Polly. So one of my sisters is in the process of getting her license to be a marriage and family therapist. And as part of her training, uh, she has had to uh, work with people who are dealing with things like sex addictions and pornography addictions. And uh, naturally, she's not giving me the names of any particular uh, patients, but there are a lot of people who are finding that pornography feeds into an addictive model of behavior. I'm Rachel Myro. I'm Polly Stryker. And this is Love in the Digital Age. Today, we talk with a man who's willing to go deep into his story of addiction with online pornography. So how did we find this guy? Let's talk about that. A lot of phone calls to SAA, Sex Addicts Anonymous groups, and we had to go out and find somebody who was willing to talk to us and kind of bear their soul. This is not an easy get. It's not an easy ask, even though I'm willing to bet that 99% of uh, people living in the U.S. today have either been exposed to pornography or consumed it. Uh, It's a different thing to ask someone to talk about their experience, to do so and be recorded. This path led us to Liam. Now, there's some people who really resist and, and even object to uh, connecting pornography with addiction, but these are first-person stories with love in the digital age. That's what we're getting at here. This is not an attempt to make a universal statement of fact about the way that people consume porn. This was one man's experience. Yeah, this is one guy's story. And I, I think it's worth talking about what the scene looks like today, not 20 years ago, not 40 years ago, not 60 years ago. Today, it's a different story. Yeah. The internet and smartphones really have been game changers for the porn industry and for your ability to just turn it on anytime. This is not a story about whether porn is good or bad. This is not a story about whether porn addiction should be a clinical diagnosis. This is a story about Liam, and we're not using his real name because of the sensitive nature of the topic. For Liam, porn became a compulsive, damaging habit around the same time that high-speed internet came around, which is to say his entire adult life. Starting when he was 20, he's 38 now, and it's been a little over a year since he decided to quit. We asked him to go back in time for us and describe what his habit was like. Get in your little imaginary zone and just block out reality for long periods of time, five, ten hours at a time sometimes. I've even talked to guys about this before. You will just like scan hundreds of images, like scroll down a page and look, okay, there's the girl I want to look at. Or like if that day, if I met someone that I talked to and thought, went home later and would think, okay, I want to see what it would look like if that person was having sex. So I could like find someone that looked like them and fantasize about, about watching that video. Really, you're, you look at scenes, you look at sex scenes. So there's no beginning or afterwards. You know, there's no, how did they even get in the bedroom? I think for me, when it became detrimental to my relationships would be when I actually had a girlfriend and I preferred watching pornography to being with her. But at that point, it almost has nothing to do with sex anymore. I have to say that was surprising to me. You mean that, that, that there, it wasn't about sex? Yeah, I thought it was all about sex. Of course, I had these fantasies of like, 
oh, I want to do X, Y, and Z because I saw that on in a pornographic movie. But like, I'd say, you know, once I would find someone who was willing to do whatever I wanted, I'd be bored like right away. It's almost like this thing of like excitement and shame mixed together um, makes it this erotic thing. Whereas like just being with someone's kind of boring. Real people are boring. What, what's going on in his head when he talks like that? Were the real women in his life just not able to live up to his porn image? Not exactly. There are some young men who go into therapist's offices complaining that they can't get aroused by real women, but that's not Liam's story. He was actually distressed by his emotional numbness. It's almost like when I'm looking at pornography, I'm like burning off the little receptors that are my feelings and, and enable me to care for somebody, you know, that they get fried. Porn made him numb? Made him emotionally numb. I, I should mention he's he's been in AA for 16 years, and so he's really in touch with his feelings in a way a lot of people are not. Not true. <laughs> I, I Well, I've been sober in AA for long enough to be able to sound like I know what I'm talking about because I go to a lot of those meetings. Or at least he can talk a good game. And it bothered him that he felt he couldn't relate to the women in his life. Every night I would get up and I would go sit in the living room at like three or four in the morning with like these, I would call them almost severe anxiety attacks. And it was directly related to looking at pornography. And since I stopped over a year ago, I hardly ever have nights like that anymore. What was it about the pornography you think that was sort of stimulating the anxiety? I would think that I would be anxious until I looked at it and then it would take care of the anxiety. It's the way I felt. That was the opposite of what was actually happening. His mom was a therapist. He has no trouble inviting women out on dates or starting relationships. It's maintaining the relationship that's hard for him. And he couldn't talk about the porn with his girlfriends. No, I never talked about it with them. Uh, even if they confronted me about it, I am so bad at communicating when I'm in a relationship. I couldn't. It's interesting. A number of his friends had suggested that he seek out help for his porn addiction. Uh, and he was open to friends. He is open to friends about his alcohol addiction and his membership in AA and how important it is to him. But he really needed to come to that decision himself, he said. Uh, and so he would push people away. And then at some point about a year and a half ago, he felt internally driven to seek out help. Many addicts say there's an event or a series of events that happen before they hit bottom. Did Liam have that? For him, it was when he started paying for sex. The first time I did it, like, I thought, this is a great solution. You know what I mean? Because I can pay someone to be nice to me and have sex with me, and it worked great. The second time and the third time, it was less enjoyable for him. And, and in fact, he felt awful about it. I can't describe it other than, like, wow, this is the loneliest I've ever felt. Oh, my God, why do I feel like I don't have a soul right now? Like, why do I feel so sad and empty and depressed? And not every guy I know feels like that. Some guys are like, no, that's just actually how I do life. Like, I, I see escorts, you know. And so I would talk to those guys and be like, well, then maybe I should try it, you know. And then I couldn't do it. After that, Liam went to a men's-only Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And you can put an anonymous note in a basket, and that's what he did in that meeting. He basically said, look, I can't stop looking at porn sites, dating sites. He also used those uh, in a compulsive kind of way. Does anybody have any experience solving this problem? 
and there was a lot of hooting and like, oh, right. what? You know, like a lot of, because it was a men's meeting. So you can imagine a men's meeting kind of going into an uproar over the question. Like, that's what happened. And somebody stood up. Someone stood up from the crowd and said, you know, I've had that problem. I've been free from that problem for five years. And so I just have one person who is, you know, willing enough to spend a lot of time talking to me on the phone. I've been doing that for over a year, and he never, ever makes it seem like it's a burden. It's interesting that he has this mature, compelling, accountable relationship, a platonic relationship with his sponsor in, in Sex Addicts Anonymous. So what's his dating life like now? I date a lot more and I have sex a lot less, if that's understandable. I think intimacy has completely changed for me to just being with people, just talking to them instead of having to be physical or always like thinking about how am I going to get him alone? Like, what are we going to go watch a movie or go to the beach? And I, you know, how do I manipulate it into that? If it happens, it happens. If not, then you know, so be it or whatever. And just, oh, it's so much more relaxing, so much more fun, you know, so much more freeing. Did he tell you what he wants, like down the road where he sees himself, what he wants from life? Well, he says he wants relationship. Um, we have to see if he's able to live that truth for himself. What's your story with porn, with people? We want to hear about it. Write to us. Email us. Love in the digital age, one word, at kqed.org. We know you're out there. Don't just email. Subscribe. We're on iTunes, and we would absolutely, absolutely love it if you left a review. Good, bad, indifferent, just put something down. Thank you. Well, this is the moment where we thank the other people involved in making love in the digital age a reality. Special thanks to our home station, KQED in San Francisco. Our engineer, Danny Bringer. Our senior producer, Victoria Malion. Our executive producer, Holly Kernan. Thank you all, and tune in to the next segment of Love in the Digital Age.
I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!